0: You have truth or you have error. You have fact or you have fiction. And now we go into the thick of it. Uh Uh-oh. Uh-oh.
1: Erin Addison's
0: on American Family Radio. We appreciate you listening today. I'm Miki. And I'm Will. And Sherry B is over in Studio CC. Today we pick up with part three of our Sola Scriptura discussion Mm -hmm. um, looking specifically at partiality and privilege. And just to make sure that everyone understands and everyone is on the same page. What, what we are endeavoring to do over the last few days is to say simply, and, and maybe this is, this is where you come in, will cause mm-hmm. you're like, look, just say the words and then let's go home. Yeah, sure. Um, the Bible is enough. The yes. word of God is sufficient, yes. right? Like that's, that's ultimately what we're trying to do. We make it more um,
1: complicated. <laughs> yes.
0: Yes. And, uh, and I I hope that as we are making the case, for the Bible being sufficient Mm -hmm. and um, using the sufficiency of scripture to prove that the Bible is sufficient. I hope that it is an encouragement to our listeners. And so we continue on in that same vein just today, specifically looking at, because there's all kinds of topics. We had a, we had a running list of kind of what is the hiccup right now in popular culture? Like what is it that we're, we're going through right now that demands a biblical response and why is it? And this is the question why is it that Christians feel so inadequate? Mm. You know, why do Christians feel like we're not equipped to show up? I, I just, I don't understand that. I, I really don't. And and I, of course, and we talked about this before, we want to bear with those who are weak, who, you know, are just like, hey, I don't, I don't understand, I don't know. There is space for us to talk about that and for us to grow together as believers, right, for us to be mutually encouraged. Mm-hmm. And I hope that that is happening. Um, Of course, as you already are familiar with, there's going to be a different tone when a person is in a position of leadership. And at this point, they should be well acquainted with the authority of the scriptures and the sufficiency of the scriptures. That's right. And yet still choose to trample them. I'm not handling those people with kid gloves.
1: Right. Right. And, you you know, (laughs) one reason I would feel ill equipped to, you know, stand or do things that, you know, against what we're seeing is if I'm not if I'm not equipped with the word like if i don't mm-hmm. if i don't know what i'm talking about you know and i think that's that's one of the problems that uh we have within the church is that there's a like a drought of the word you know yeah. and you know people don't know how to uh deal with these issues they see something wrong uh this is not adding up this is not lining up mm-hmm. but not being versed in the scripture will cause us not to know how to respond i don't know what to do you know
0: now do you think that there is um an intimidation factor to approaching the word. I I feel like, and the reason I'm asking this, and I want to get your take on it, Will the Great, is because I think sometimes people feel like, well, I'm not going to be able to get that out of the word. Like, I don't know that, Hmm. you know, that is in the word. So so there's like, there is a hesitation to come to the word of God because there is the belief that understanding the word Um, is reserved for certain people like what would you say to that
1: I I would say uh, you know I think people do feel that way and that's a problem Mm -hmm. you know because the word is in itself you know is is such that anyone can understand because any Christian can understand it because we have the Holy Spirit I think I think we need to go into it knowing that the Holy Spirit lives inside of us so as we're reading the word that he will make known to us the things that we need to know we, he will mm-hmm. help us to understand, you know, what the word is, is saying, we, you know, before we do our Bible studies, you know, at, at home, we pray that God would help us to get what he desired for us to get out of the word today, you know, that our yeah. minds would be uh, open to what he's saying. So I think if we go in with a confidence, knowing that we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us, that intimidation goes away.
0: Yeah. Amen. You know, and this is one of the things that we taught our kids early on um, at the point of conversion and and they were able to uh, understand uh, the role of the Holy Spirit and to understand how the Holy Spirit enables us to navigate His Word, like and the mm-hmm. illustration that we gave them, and I think it's so important for kids to understand this as well, is that you have the author of the book living inside of you. That's powerful. So when you think about that, like you know, you have people have these book clubs and they sit down to discuss books, and it's like, you know, what do you think the author was trying to say here? Like, what do you get from this? Right, we can. Know. Um, Well, we can know. It's like it's like sitting down to a book where the author is available. We Mm -hmm. don't have to guess at what the author meant. You know what I mean? We don't have to spend our time just saying, well, I think and which is why, you know, when you approach the scriptures, we try to steer clear of that and and say, what is it that God is communicating? I
1: think that's that's a problem as well. I think we've made I say we with quality fingers. We've made the Bible into a purely in some segments, an academic you know, type mm. of book. So, so we yeah. can just philosophize about what we feel like it says, wow. you know, and so I think that's been, I think that has been going on in some seminaries. I think it it goes on in some, yeah. you know, and it's not that seminaries are, are are bad, but I think mm-hmm. we got to evaluate, you know, how we are teaching, you know, uh, people to look at the word of God, not yeah. as this, you know, open ended, whatever you feel
0: even in Bible studies, small group Bible studies yeah, where, in, in Bible I mean, studies. as as a woman, I've, I've been in this context. I don't know if men do this a whole lot, but you open the Bible, you read a passage and then going around a circle. What does this mean to you? What do you think about this? Mm. Like, you know, that it, it makes the Bible very subjective and removes from it the objectivity that it contains. Yeah. That there is a statement, there is a sentiment, there are facts that are being communicated and the author of that book <laughs> has preserved those facts, have mm-hmm. have preserved those objective truths, if you will. And um, and I think it's important for us to get back to that because, look, this is the, the result of what we see happening in our churches, yeah. which largely is happening in the culture, but the church is taking it in. Yeah. <laughs> the, yeah. the, the church is taking it in. Um. The reason for this is because of departure from the truth. Yeah. So now we feel like... There must be the Bible and, you know, Mm -hmm. there's got to be the gospel. And then what other analytical tools like what other lens can we use to help us navigate culture? But what we are saying and what we have been saying, um, you know, forever, I feel like I mean, that may be an exaggeration. uh, But, you know, what we're saying is that a long time (laughs) for a long time, the Bible is sufficient. Yeah, the gospel is enough. Like we don't need any new analytical tools. So here's how we want to start today. Mm -hmm. And um, we talk about partiality and privilege and and people who listen to this show know that we are um, very emphatic about raising our children to understand this gospel that they say they subscribe to Mm -hmm. Um, not that they just become Christians by osmosis or that they feel like, well, because America, yeah, I'm a Christian, you know, but that they understand. And so that was a big part of even their conversion that they would understand, have a clear presentation of what the gospel is. But then as a part of their discipleship, and this is what we try to encourage parents to do to actively disciple your children, do not just hope that they will catch some of the stuff that is mentioned over their heads, maybe twice a week Hopefully. Hmm. No, you've got to actively disciple your kids. And I was thinking about this as I was working through just, you know, how the Bible unpacks partiality, what the Bible teaches us about the character and the nature of God, and then what the Bible shows us about privilege. And and by the way, privilege is real. And mm-hmm. we're going to get I hope I hope I hope we get into that. <laughs> privilege is a thing. Mm hmm. Right. And so now everybody's afraid to use the word like everybody's afraid to talk about it because of how the word has been like commandeered. And and it's been taken and it's been given a new definition. Right. Mm -hmm. And and. We keep doing this in the church. Right. We keep letting the world take words, yeah. redefine them, and then bat them back over to us and say, "Now use these words as we have like defined we sh- them." Yeah. Right. No. Right. The church has got to say no. Right? right. And and I'm I'm gonna keep encouraging this that the church says and no. The,
1: the church needs to even reject words that we don't e- need to even use. You know. For example. Like race, like yeah, I knew many, that. I think many races. Yeah, like, that's right. You know, that's right. I mean, we right. we we'll take that I put kind race of stuff in quotes. Yeah, in
0: my in my notes here, and 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 really, Will, you're the one who provoked me in that way. Like a few years back, um, you were the first person. I mean, look, in in all of my years of being discipled and studying the Word of God, but you were the first person to say we need to stop using race. The Bible speaks in terms of partiality, and as you unpacked that, I was like. Oh, man, that is huge because the word partiality is far more expansive than just this man-made term, right. if you will, right. of race. and At least the way that we have come to understand race, right? Exactly. Because partiality is bigger than just favoritism based on skin color. That's right. And that's what we have to teach our children because here's the question. The question that, you know, I think some parents have right now is... Do I need to have a separate conversation with my kids about race and racism and color and privilege? Like, do I need to have a separate conversation? And so I, I hope that by the end of this show, the answer will be clear that you don't need to have a separate conversation per se if you effectively have the chief conversation, Mm. which is to show the sin condition of man Mm -hmm. and all the manifestations of that. And you're not going to be doing that sort of on the fly. The Bible already unpacks this and lays this out for you, right? Mm. So I was thinking about how we started with our children and how they have grown over the years. So um, just again, uh, we have five children. We have one on the way. Um, and so our oldest is 13 and the youngest is three, almost 30. He's right. Just, he's he's, he's <laughs> very close to 30. Um, and, and so when we started with our kids um, teaching them the foundations of the faith, man, by God's grace, we were um, convicted to lay a foundation that we could kind of, and I hate to use the word systematically, but that we could build on. So when we first started, we started um Teaching them to memorize the books of the Bible. Mm-hmm. You remember that? Oh, yeah. Who wrote the Bible? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and then the reason for that was not just knowledge for knowledge's sake, but it was because we knew that as they learn to read, they're going to be reading the Bible. We want them to be able to navigate the Bible. So mm-hmm. when it is said, turn here, you can turn here, right? So we started with giving them, um, helping them to memorize the books of the Bible, right? Kind of drilling them on that. Then the Ten Commandments, okay? Um, And then you'll remember this, Will, and this is why I asked you, hey, where's that book that we had? Um, discipleship in the home it was Matt Friedemann's book yeah we um, would catechize them like so we had catechism with our kids mm-hmm. where um, it was a question and answer format mm-hmm. and we would do this nightly over dinner mm-hmm. and those questions revolved around the topics of the Bible right mm-hmm. so how many books are there in the Bible what mm-hmm. are the books of the Bible what is the message of the Bible and then what is the message of these individual books and when they're little Really, they're just memorizing the information. Mm -hmm. But as they get older and they start to read these books, they see these themes and they remember, oh, that's right. I I was taught this and now I actually see it coming to light. So we started to teach them this, um, you know, questions about the Ten Commandments, the Beatitudes, God, humanity, sin, salvation, all of these things. And it was a question and answer type format that's really easy for kids to pick up with, Right. So then from there we start to work our way through the proverbs and we're reading proverbs every single day and we're going through and at, and remember our kids are growing and when I say our I mean Christian kids they are growing not just by the year right but they're mm-hmm. growing spiritually as you continue to pour this information into them what are you doing you are laying a foundation for respect for the word yeah right where they understand that the word of God is important and it's essential to their lives. We don't Amen. wait until they're 17 and then say, "Hey, I think it's time for you to have your first Bible." Too late. It's already gone, mm. Kinham would say to you. And it's true. We I mean, it's it's just true, right? Yeah. But as they grow and they learn to read and then they're reading through the Bible with you, there is something else that happens that's very interesting they start to see that the Bible is true because they become keenly aware of themselves as they grow. Mm -hmm. So as they get older, kids begin to see their own sin nature, right? So as they see this, as their development continues to grow and as they continue to expand, right? And while they're doing this, they're reading the Bible, Mm -hmm the light bulb goes off they're like whoa um, i do that <laughs> wow how does the bible know me
1: right right
0: <laughs> how does the bible know that those are the things that i do and mm. think and say and i'm <laughs> guilty of that and your kids begin to make this connection and what does it do it validates the scriptures it so it shows that the scripture does and does not have a human author mm, all right all right Aaron the Addisons American Family Radio We'll take a break and we'll be right back. Welcome back to Aaron the Addison's on American Family Radio. I'm Nikki.
1: And I'm Will, and that's Jonathan McReynolds. Not lucky, I'm loved.
0: So having laid a foundation about, um, I, I say a foundation, a foundation of the, the sufficiency of the scriptures and, and why we are as as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, we are to be teaching this to our children. If you are a grandparent, you are to be teaching this to your grandchildren. Um, you know, your your work is not done. We've, we've said this previously, right? So I, I won't go into it again. Um, but I'm hoping that at some point, we kick into gear with the intergenerational blessing that is passing on the gospel and training in righteousness and instruction, right? And to say it simply, discipleship. It's for parents, it's for grandparents. You know the Lord Jesus Christ, this is for you, right? So here's the question. We're we're looking at part three of Sola Scriptura um, and looking at partiality and privilege. Um, Both are real, okay? (laughs) Um, We're gonna talk about it. So, does the Bible teach us anything about partiality? Well, yes, yes, it does um and i I was kind of conflicted on like you know where do you start because there's so many scriptures mm-hmm. in the Bible that deal with partiality um but I think one of the best places to start is with the character and the nature of God, right um that God does not show partiality, and you might think that you know we could go to some- and we will we will go to some of the commonly um referred to passages where Peter, and we can talk about that in, in just a little bit, Peter with Cornelius, mm-hmm. where Peter's like, oh, now I, I know that God shows no partiality. Uh, of course, we can go to James, and we'll spend a lot of times talking about um, how James uh, unpacks partiality, and man, he just he just cuts to the quick, mm-hmm. basically, and not, you know, basically, James calls partiality sin. He says that it is <laughs> sin, and, and and so that, well, but here's where I thought we'd start, <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes I don't know where to start. Here's where I thought we'd start. Um, many Bible scholars believe that um, the book of Job is the oldest book in the Bible that is written, right? And it's interesting when you read through the book of Job, as we've done with our kids, and it's fascinating, and you get a lot of your apologetics from Job, right, um, especially from a scientific position. Yeah. Um, it's It's just fascinating. But when you read through Job, you get a picture of who God is, mm-hmm. right? And there is something interesting in Job where he, Job is surrounded by these three friends. Mm-hmm. People kind of like, your wheels are spinning now, you're going back to your Job knowledge, okay? So Job has these three, three friends, uh, Zophar, Eliphaz, and Bildad, right? Right. And Job is going back and forth with these men. He's trying to figure out, you know, what has happened and, and how can he understand God in the midst of all of his suffering and all of this. And so you you see these huge sort of like monologues, right, where Job says, Job is lamenting, then you have this friend steps in. And then Job says this, and then you have this friend steps in, and then Job, and then the other friend, and all right. of this. Well, in the midst of all of this, there is a young man named Elihu. Right. And Elihu is the youngest of these four men, if you will. So you've got Job, the three friends, and then you've got Elihu. Right. And up until this point in the Bible, this is in Job chapter 34. Up until this point, Elihu hasn't said anything because he's like, I'm so young. Hmm. Right. He's like these men are so old. And the Bible lets us know this, right? The Bible is very clear on this. In Job chapter 32, verse four, it reads, now Elihu had waited to speak to Job because they were older than he. Okay. <laughs> so he's intimidated because he's young. And when Elihu saw that there was no answer in the mouth of these three men, he burned with anger. In other words, you guys don't know who God is, mm. is what Elihu is saying. <laughs> and you can almost get this picture of him like, oh, oh, they don't know anything, you know, but this is what this is the conclusion that he comes to. And I think this is interesting. This is not exactly the point that I want to make, but I just love the word of God so much. And, and I, you know, man, you know, anyway, I just think it's interesting that the Bible points this out, that Elihu finally has had enough. And he almost builds his confidence by saying wisdom is not just found in years. Right. That's what he says. Right. So in, in uh, Job, chapter 32, verse mm-hmm. six, the Bible reads this way. And Elihu, the son of Barakel uh, the Buzite, answered and said, I am young in years and you are aged. Therefore, I was timid and afraid to declare my opinion to you. I said, let days speak. <laughs> he <laughs> called them days. days. Yeah. That's, there you go. That's <laughs>
1: another word for old.
0: what's up pops he said i said let days speak you guys don't adopt that and start telling people that. hey what's up days you know so so elihu said i love the word of god man he says i'm young in years you are aged therefore i was timid and afraid to declare my opinion to you i said let days speak and many years teach wisdom Mm -hmm. then he says this in verse eight but it is the spirit in man the breath of the almighty that makes him understand it is not the old Mm. who are wise, nor the age who understand what is right. Come on. Now I set that up because he is preaching (laughs) this young man here. Yeah. Yeah, I (laughs) mean, you know, you want to be like, thanks Eli. All right. Can I call you Eli? He's like, no, (laughs) but, but I set that up because as he goes on, He's about to make this defense for God. And in the interest of time, I encourage you to go back and read it. This is Job chapter 34 now, verses 10 through 22. You go read it. I'm going to kind of start near verse 13. But again, I think context is a big deal. So if we had more time, um, my plan was to start at 10, but I'm Gabby. So we're starting at 13. (laughs) All right. All right. So. Elihu is basically making the case for who God is, that he doesn't owe anybody anything, right? Mm -hmm. He's painting a picture of who the Lord God is. And you guys are being flippant in your charges here. You don't know who he is. Verse 13 says, um, who gave him charge over the earth and who laid on him the whole world? Talking about God. If he should set his heart to it and gather to himself his spirit and his breath, all flesh would perish together and man would return to dust. Mm. In other words, <laughs> young bones, okay, <laughs> is saying to years, <laughs> days and years, <laughs> days and years, okay, God does not need you. Mm. All right, He alone sustains everything. But Elihu doesn't stop there. He continues on, and this is verse 16. And verse 19 is ultimately where we want to land here. He says, If you have understanding, hear this. Listen to what I say. Shall one who hates justice govern? Will you condemn him who is righteous and mighty, who says to a king, worthless one, and to nobles, wicked man? And verse 19, he says, who shows no partiality to princes, nor regards the rich more than the poor, for they are all the work of his hands. Amen. Here is the point. And one of the earliest manuscripts that we have from the scriptures, the Holy spirit of God wants us to know that God does not show partiality. Hmm. He does not regard one based on their outward appearance or what they have or who they are. Notice that Elihu says, he says, um, Oh, goodness, where is it? he says to a king, worthless one. This is amazing imagery, right? <laughs> he says to the king, worthless one. He says to the noble one, right? He he says to the noble one, wicked man. Mm-hmm. In other words, this juxtaposition here is painting a picture that there is no one that God owes anything to. Mm-hmm. And even still, he shows no partiality, mm-hmm. right? He doesn't he doesn't have to show anything to anyone. He doesn't owe anyone anything. He is impartial. So when we start with talking about partiality, we have to start with the character and the nature of God, because as the Bible continues to unpack partiality and why we. Rooted in the nature and character of God. It's not just a good Christian life skill. Mm -hmm. It's not just, oh, you know, I think this is right. No, no, no. This is us understanding who God is, what he requires of us in light of who he is. Proverbs chapter 28, verse 21 says, to show partiality is not good. To show partiality is not good. But wait, there's more. But for a piece of bread, a man will do wrong. Wow. Now, what does this, this reveals the heart of man, right? It's not good to show partiality, but for a piece of bread, a man will do wrong. We'll forget what we know mm. when it's advantageous to us. Mm-hmm. We'll we know what is right because God has made it known to us. He has put this imprint on our heart that we know what is right, but we will override that when it becomes convenient for us to do something that benefits us. Wow. Guys, this is the human condition.
1: Yeah, you're right. That's,
0: that's Notice good. how if we're teaching this to our children, We have not even brokered with race, quote unquote, or ethnicity or culture. Notice we're talking about favoritism and partiality and we're not even dealing with America.
1: Come on. That's so good. (laughs) Guys, it goes beyond that. It goes
0: beyond Mm. We are teaching our kids eternal truth. That's good. We ourselves are learning eternal truth. And when you paint this picture, you can show your kids that understanding partiality is far more expense expansive than what our current talking points allow for. Mm. Right. They keep us in a box. Well, we can only talk in terms of this. But what we're saying is, no, we've got to go further than that. So listen. When we talk about partiality, I think that this is of chief importance to us. We have to understand that the biggest picture, number one, is the character and the nature of God. Immediately followed by that is what is our understanding of partiality as it pertains to our own salvation? You see, because this is where humility comes in. When we understand that the Lord, because he shows no partiality, so that's Mm -hmm. his character, that is his nature to be impartial, right? To be just, to be right, to be holy and to be set apart. Then now we have to understand how that is reflected in the work of salvation in our lives because God is impartial. Mm -hmm. Listen to this. We can be saved not we may be saved (laughs) we can be saved we have the opportunity to come into relationship with God because he shows no partiality when we understand that there should be a certain amount of humility that overcomes us that we're like whoa who am I (laughs) who was excluded from the commonwealth of Mm. Israel, right? Who was outside, (laughs) okay? That I have now been brought near to the cross because God shows no partiality. Who am I to show partiality? Like, who do I possibly think that I am? (laughs) In Acts chapter 10, we're so familiar with this, right? I mean, this is a powerful moment in the history of the church. You've got this centurion, Cornelius, who is giving elms and who is praying. And this angel comes to visit him and he's like, hey, the Lord has taken note of you. Hmm. (laughs) The Lord has taken note of you. And he gives him instructions that you're to go get this this man, uh, Peter, right? He's staying at Simon the Tanner's house. Go get him and, and basically just wait. Just wait. And so what happens, and this is amazing because you see something in Cornelius, just an incredible amount of faith. And the Bible includes all of these details for a reason, Mm -hmm. right? So what does Cornelius do? Cornelius packs his house out. You go read Acts 10. Cornelius, (laughs) the Bible tells us that Cornelius (laughs) has his relatives and his friends there waiting for Peter to get there. Y'all need to
1: hear this. (laughs) We all need to hear this.
0: He still, he still as yet, he still as yet doesn't even know what Peter is going to tell him. Right.
1: He just knows. But there is so much
0: faith that he's like, okay, I have had a radical encounter here. Mm -hmm. Yo, okay. And something is going down. I've been told by this angel from God to go and get this man, and he's coming to my house. Now, imagine the influence that this centurion (laughs) has, because not only does he pack out his house with his family, but his friends are there. Yeah. His partners, they all have (laughs) they all have shown up and they're waiting. And immediately Peter gets there. And of course, Cornelius falls down at his feet. And Peter's like, no, stop. Hold up. (laughs) That's that's not what we're doing. We're not doing this. But what Peter immediately recognizes is something that is very powerful in Scripture. And this is Acts chapter 10, verse verses 34 and 35. The Bible says, um, so Peter opened his mouth and said, truly, I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. Anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. Do you understand that (laughs) God is kind of building and excuse the expression if people have a problem with it? He's he's almost building his legend. Right, From Old Testament to New Testament, the things that are revealed to us about God are going to culminate as we get to the New Testament, and we see that all of these things serve a purpose. And it's, and it's amazing because we're on the receiving end of all of this revelation, right? Like knowing who God is, understanding his character, yeah. and understanding his nature. That's why I say, you know, to take any one of the attributes away from God, you are not talking about God. Right. Right. If you just want to talk about the love of God, but you don't want to talk about the justice of God. You know, if you just want to talk about the mercy of God, but you don't want to talk about the jealousy of God, then you're not talking about God. You've made a God in your image. And so then we're not talking about the same God. All of it becomes vitally important because God is going to do something with that. So we are Christians. We go out into the culture with the truth of who God is. Number one, in his character and in his nature, there is no partiality. Number two, this has huge bearing on what it means for us now that we can be saved. But it doesn't stop there because now it's going to expand. Not only is God impartial, but he calls for you Mm -hmm. to be impartial as well. Please notice again, We have not talked about ethnicity. We have not talked about culture. Mm -hmm. We have not talked about so-called race. We are talking about who God is and how we live in light of knowing who he is. We can get this information to our kids. We can train them without secular talking points. Aaron the Addison's AFR will be right back. My brokenness, you are close to me, and my weakness, you my strength, you are high lifted up, you feel high up on the throne. You are God, you are God, got alone. And my Welcome back to Ernie Addison's on American Family Radio. Man, we care about the body of Christ. We care about the the proliferation of the gospel that we are equipped to stand in our generation we cannot drop the ball we have to hold the line Amen. um i guess there are some different um analogies that i can <laughs> use <laughs> welcome back i'm meeky
1: and i'm will and that's darius james that you are god alone
0: I mean, every one of them will the great. I yeah, really do. Oh, yeah. And so I'll <laughs> just jump back into it. We're talking about the sufficiency of the scriptures. Can we talk about partiality and privilege and just stick to the scriptures? Like, can we do that without borrowing from current cultural talking points? We well, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's my premise. My premise is yes, we can. And I want to make a case for that by looking to the word of God. We don't have to be pushed in a corner by secular bullies and told, how we should talk about issues. Right. I am not going to, let me just be very clear here. I am not going to have a separate conversation with my kids on any topic where I'm not permitted to bring the straight edge.
1: Yes. Yes. That's, that's so good. Let me say this too. Go ahead. In my mind, I think, and I, I think I talked to you about this. I was, when you hear all these different narratives, you know, especially, You know, the narrative of being a black man and having black, black sons and you got to have a talk with them. You know, I started thinking like, man, is that real? Like, do you really have to have a a talk? You know, but no, you don't. You have Mm -mm. you can have a talk with them about scripture, about uh, about, you know, uh, obeying authority, about what the Bible says, about not being in certain places with certain people, that bad company, corrupt good character. And and Mm -hmm. that and that does not bring uh, a race in it. You see, race, curly fingers in it at Quoty all, fingers, skin color. <laughs> yes, you know that's right. And, and so the thing it is, it applies to everyone. It applies to everyone, and and people will hear me say that and they'll say like, But no, you you're just trying to deflect, or, or, or you know, don't think you're black in America. You know, you have to have that conversation with your sons. And I'm like, why can't I have just a biblical discussion and say, hey, this is how we are to act according to the word of God. You know, beyond skin color and all this, you know, this is this is where it is and teach them that way.
0: That's right. That's right. You know, it's amazing. I I remember um, in school, you know, and there's different things that you go through, like with your instructors and your teachers and things like that. And I remember my mom saying. Do not disrespect your teachers. You come home and tell me. And mm. if I need to talk to the teacher, I'll talk to the teacher. You know, teaching that there is respect for authority, that there is respect for people who are over you. Now we don't have that. Now, I mean, you you have a kid who's like, well, i'm I'm just as grown as you are." Mm. And there are some parents who like rebel in that. They're like, "Yeah, I want, you know, but we have a breakdown in respect for authority. So the result, the natural outflow of mm-hmm. that is the type of culture that we have right now. We've created this. Yeah, we've created this by thinking it's cute that no respect for authority. Right. That we want to be their friends instead of being their parents. We yeah. think that's cute until this is what it looks like.
1: I think. Right? Some, I think where I, now
0: you've got people. I mean,
1: no, I was gonna say. I think some people think not having no, a separate com- not not having a second se- separate conversation is being naive. I think some people really feel that way. That you have to have separate conversations about these things. It can't just be biblical in nature.
0: I think having a separate conversation uh, creates paranoia and feelings of inferiority.
1: Yes, I agree. And
0: I refuse to do that. I I I refuse to um, respond to a culture that tells me I need to sit down and remind my kids that, hey, don't forget, you're nothing. Hey, (laughs) uh, great job on your test. And um, we've been meaning to talk to you about something. Um, you don't matter. So mm. remember, you're gonna have to work harder to show that you're worthy. No, mm-hmm. I'm not doing it. Right. I'm not doing it. Like I there I don't see anything in scripture that tells us that we are to instruct our children in that way. Right. I mean, that's just that's absolutely ridiculous. Like why I mean there's there's you know, there's no reason for that. So so we're talking about partiality and we're talking about how the Bible is totally sufficient and it covers what we need to cover, mm-hmm. right? James has a lengthy discourse, if you will, where he is calling out his readers for the partiality that they are showing. And it's again, without dealing with current cultural topics, he condemns partiality across the board, across the board. Right. Mm -hmm. And when I say across the board, why? Well, because the death nail is calling it sin. So any display of it is sin. And if you're if you're confused, we we're, we're going to look at it because if you're confused about, well, what type of sin does he mean? You know, the sin <laughs> sin, the the sin kind of sin. Right. <laughs> right? Like like that, you know. I mean, people are like, "Well, does he mean like, you know, cuz in context, yeah, in context is sin." Right. Right. If you go back to the original Greek sin, <laughs> Hebrew sin, all right? Ebonics. <laughs> sin. It's sin. All right, so here we go. James chapter 2. James chapter 2. James writes, um, My brother, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, You... Sit here in a good place while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves, watch this, and become judges with evil thoughts? Mm. Verse five. Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? but you have dishonored the poor man are not the rich, the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court. Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? If you really fulfill the Royal law, according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. Hmm. Verse nine. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin. And are convicted by the law as transgressors Mm. for whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point. So here we go. This is man. This is where it really it, it comes down to the marrow here. Right. He fails at one part or on one point. He's become guilty of all of it. Wow. For he who said do not commit adultery also said do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. James does something in addition to this over in chapter three, you know, the breakdown as he continues writing. Over in chapter three, he actually describes wisdom as impartial when he's talking about there being different types of wisdom Mm -hmm. which there there are according to the scriptures but he actually describes wisdom as impartial but getting back to this what is happening among James's readers what is happening is that they are showing favoritism to the wealthy who come in among them yeah and to those who are poor now both for whom Christ has died They are showing favoritism. And what does James say? James calls it out as sin. He says, look, and and you can pride yourself basically on keeping this portion of the law, doing this and and not doing that. But if you break one part of it, you've broken it all. If you're a transgressor, you're a transgressor. You're not kind of a transgressor. Like you're not kind of expecting a baby, (laughs) right? Like you, you either are or you aren't. And so when we talk about this, we have these conversations. And and, and again, I want to say this to parents. We allow this culture to tell us how to raise our kids in subtle ways that will really have a disastrous outcome. So this culture tells us that our kids need to prize and value like the popular kids in school, right? The kids who dress this way, the kids who look this way. We do this in our churches. You know, the family that looks this way, we're drawn to them. Oh, this one owns that business. That one works in that industry. That one does that. And those are the ones we are drawn toward. Mm, It's sin.
1: Yes, come on.
0: And why is it so irresistible? Because it's sin. Why is there such a battle in it? We're like, we know we shouldn't, but we feel like it's an opportunity for us and our family to hobnob with these people. The Bible calls it sin. That's right. And guess what? This includes partiality that is based on people's skin color. I'll talk to this person because they look like me, kind of, mm. sort of. I won't talk to that person because they don't. It's sin. All of it. What do we have to do in the body of Christ? We have to one be well-versed in the scriptures to understand what the Bible teaches us about partiality Two, we have to teach this to our children. You know, I, I, we, man, I, I tell my kids all the time. And because of, you know, my experiences in in high school, I was the, I was the, I couldn't stand to see people being bullied or, you know, people kind of being kicked to this. I don't know. It's just, it's just the way I'm wired and man, I hope it's for the glory of God but I don't like to see the person that is like, oh, nobody's talking to her yeah. like that. I'm like, oh, really? Well, then I'm talking to her like <laughs> like why? Why is no one talking to her like why? And then we find comfort in all of us agreeing that that person is not worthy. We find comfort. We make groups around that. We encourage our kids to do that. This kid on the playground, that kid in church, we don't associate. Why do we have these factions and divisions? It's all summed up in sin. It is a sin problem. It has nothing to do with just your color of skin. Yeah, yeah. It is a sin problem. That's it. And it exists in the human heart, period. Jesus Christ and the work that he did on the cross, was to eradicate that. Man, we have to put the flesh to death. Now I see that we're we're coming down to the end of the show and I still haven't talked about privilege, but here's what I want to say. Privilege is real. All right? Question is what about privilege? Well, what about privilege? It's real. But here's what I want to tell you. Privilege exists in various forms. The type of privilege that our culture is pushing is their reconstructed version of privilege privilege does exist but it is not only based on someone's skin color Mm -hmm. it can be it can be but it is not only based on someone's skin color being found in christ affords us privilege
1: amen amen
0: that's not limited to skin color nope Your family structure affords you privilege. You set your kids up to win by simply staying married. Come on. You give your kids. You you want your kids to have privilege? You're sick and tired of the conversation about privilege? Stay married. Stay together. Provide a stable home for your kids. That's a privilege. Occupation affords people privileges. Look, I've got... Friends in the medical community, I've got friends in counseling, I've got friends in the legal community. I use their privilege all the time. <laughs> I'm gonna take a picture of this. I don't know what this is on my kid's leg. Hey, tell me what this is and what do I need to do? That's a privilege. That's a privilege. I'm not embarrassed about that. There is privilege. Privilege is real. Like, remember when this word was okay? We, you remember when you, you, you could be in school and the teacher would say, We're gonna take away your privileges? privilege is a thing guys we need to stop acting like we're allergic to words because the culture robs us of them and it's so now no one talks about privilege you got a privilege you get to stay up late you got a privilege you get to play outside privilege to be on a device there are privileges what does that mean it means it's something that you don't have a right to but man you have it and and it's good privilege is real i'm setting my kids up to win i'm extending to them my privilege of being married, right, and, and so that they can grow up in a stable environment. But first and foremost, the privilege of knowing Jesus Christ is the first thing that we extend to them. Amen. Yes, that's yes. your ultimate privilege. Yes. Your level of education provides you privilege. Your country of origin, your citizenship provides you privilege. It's a privilege to be born in the United States of America and to be a citizen of this country. I'm not embarrassed or ashamed to say that's a privilege. Amen. People, oh, that's not a prison. Why are you fighting to get here? <laughs> why, why do you want to get here? Come on, do, please, we're not, come on. Why do you want in if it's not a privilege? Privilege exists. And we have to say that. There's so many people who are coveting, who are jealous, and who bring things up because they want you to feel bad about it. Oh, it must be nice. I say to those people, it is. <laughs> 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 Do you know who knew best what privilege afforded him was the Apostle Paul. Mm -hmm. We recently were talking to our kids about this because the big question about privilege is one, does it serve God's eternal purpose? Does God give privilege for his eternal purpose? purpose we see this displayed in the scriptures one of the clearest examples of this is the privilege that the apostle paul has as a roman citizen and look the bible doesn't hide that right paul plays to his privilege left and right but why it's for the advancement of the gospel it's not privilege for privilege's sake But he doesn't for one second hide the fact that he is a Roman citizen. And he's moving in and out of places, playing to that privilege. Why? For the expansion and the growth of the church. I have a little bit more to say about this, but we're out of time. I really think we have to look at the scriptures for it, too. Maybe in the first segment of tomorrow's show, we'll see. We're out of time for today. Until tomorrow, Lord willing. God bless.